0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. A Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired <coughs> out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask a drink of me, a Samaritan. Drink. Jews do not share things in common
1: with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living.
0: left her water jug and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah again. They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him,
1: Disciples said to one another, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more than comes? reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into that labor. Any Samaritans
0: from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony gospel of the Lord.
2: And then we have this incredible uh, lesson from the gospel. The longest passage that we will hear in the church, other than when we hear the Passion narrative uh, on Palm Sunday and on Good Friday. And it is full of things that we should pay attention to. But I hope that we can step back for just a moment and see what Jesus is putting before us. Last week, we heard about Nicodemus, was a man of power, a man who had a name. He was an Israelite. He was someone who mattered. He was a Pharisee. Often, I think, we think of the Pharisees as just those people who were always kind of poking at Jesus and hoping that they could trip him up. But the Pharisees were people who were trying to live faithful lives like you and I. And this particular Pharisee wanted to understand what he needed to do. In order to find righteousness with God, and the word that Nicodemus needed from Jesus was that it wasn't anything that Nicodemus could do, because the Spirit, like the wind, blows where it will, and it is the Spirit by which we are born from above. So Jesus was offering to him transformation of life, not anything that he could do by what God alone. Did. Now this week. John offers to us a sharp contrast to make a difference. The center of the story is a woman. She is Samaritan, and she has no name. And it would be easy to focus on her, as many, many sermons have, thinking about her sinfulness, and thinking about her needing to come to God and be forgiven. But I think that this is the mark. This is the woman whose life has been really destructive. She has had five husbands. Now that may be because some had divorced her, and you know then a woman could just be put out by five husbands Some may have died, and now she was with someone who was perhaps offering her a bit of protection, offering her a way to survive. But her life was a drudgery, day after day after day, she had to come through well, fill her jar, and take it back. particularly thinking about how she could be righteous before God. I think she was just trying to get through every day. And then, into this, comes Jesus. He's been traveling, on the road, he's tired, and he comes finally to that wonderful place, Jacob's well. Some of you may have visited Jacob's well in Israel, and maybe you drunk the water from that well. I did, and after I did, I thought, maybe I shouldn't have done that. around him. What he did that day was scandalous. For one thing, he was meeting a woman alone at that well. And as a rabbi, the rabbinical law said that he shouldn't even be alone and, and speaking with his wife or his sister. Over. And here he was speaking with this Samaritan. And then, of course, there's the problem of her being a Samaritan. Uh, from the days mind, 450 years earlier, this race of Samaritans were hated and considered to be worse than Gentiles. And there, there are various accounts of how this uh, group uh, came to be in the, north, in the northern kingdom, but one account is that the Assyrians, after the uh, the, kind of the elite had been taken out of the northern kingdom, they repopulated the area. Of course, there were still Jews there. So the Jews who were there intermarried with these forms. And with that came a mingling of the law of Moses. Last night, Becky and I uh, attended the installation of Rabbi Darby Lee at Parenthood. It was a wonderful celebration. Uh, Becky actually participated in the installation because uh, she's in a colleague with uh, Rabbi Darby. And the whole evening was just one of wonderful celebrations. Uh, The the dancing that followed was truly incredible. If you've ever been at a Jewish wedding, it, it just translated same thing. It was amazing. But also it was amazing the singing that we did together and the hymns of were sung, the prayers of were mom. And as I sat there, I thought about the fact that uh, Becky and I had been invited to be there. And we had been invited to be a part of that Jewish celebration of their rabbi. In spite of the fact that over the centuries, Christianity and Christians have persecuted the Jews. Anti-Semitism was very much alive for so many Jews for so many generations. And last night, as the rabbi who offered the keynote speech uh, talked about the fact that uh, anti-Semitism isn't a problem for Jews; it's a problem for Christians. And as I thought about that, I thought about the differences and the ways in which we separate ourselves from one another. How we draw lines, and we don't want to step across that line. How we see thresholds that we don't think we can get across. One of those thresholds for us, I think, is to reach across to our brothers and sisters who are Jews. But there's more than that. I remember this at the time at a funeral when someone related to me that she was talking many years ago about the pharmacy. And the friend said, Oh, that's Catholic the pharmacy. <laughs> I didn't know pharmacies had religion. <laughs> we tend to draw lines so many times. And I think that God finds it important that we continue to separate ourselves from another. What I think we hear in this gospel lesson, at least one part, is that Jesus is showing us that no matter how start, that line has been drawn. We are called to step over. We are called to be in relationship with our brothers and sisters who are also children of God. And so, here's Jesus breaking all the rules as he tends to do with this woman, with whom he should not be present in the public. And they start to have a conversation and in the beginning, she is a bit put off by it. Why would this Jew talk with me? And then he begins to talk with her about another kind of water. First, she takes it literally, like Nicodemus couldn't figure out how he could be born again, going to uh, his mother's womb again. Well, she does the same thing. She thinks that he's talked about water that will never run out. So she is going to have to make this trip every day back and forth to the well. But then, as it unfolds, it becomes clear that Jesus is talking about water quenches the thirst of the soul something much greater than anything that she could have had and she hears this and when she does she recognizes it again. after he says I am referencing himself to the the first place that occurs in the gospel she is the first preacher in the gospel she goes back and proclaims the good news people of town. And this is also the first place in the Gospel where Jesus is recognized as the Savior. So it's a, it's a wonderfully powerful passage of recognition of who Jesus truly is. And once she realizes it, she must go back to help the others. I think that in this encounter, Jesus discloses that God is an unbounded God. That God is indeed a lover of souls. One of my favorite prayers in the prayer book is one of those prayers after prayers where we acknowledge God as a lover of souls. But what's so dramatic is that he is an indiscriminate lover of souls. We discriminate about who we might love. God does not. God doesn't care about our categories. God didn't care, I believe about this Samaritan woman being Samaritan. It was all God cared about because it was a woman who needed God's love and Jesus brought that to her. I think the message is clear. The human categories are irrelevant to God. Our prejudices are not God's prejudices. Our attempt to limit God is always blown away by God's limitless love, limitless forgiveness limitless grace, the woman at the well helps us to see that we don't come to God because we are so good, or because we have done well, or because we have been good Christians. Rather, we come to God because we are drawn by the love of God. Last week, the encounter with Nicodemus showed us that it's not what we do, but it's what God does that transforms life. And this, the Samaritan woman bears witness to the reality that even those of us who feel we are completely estranged from God, that we have done such terrible things that God could not possibly love us, even those of us who have that sense of our relationship with God. Are, we learn from this story that transformation and new is that God still loves us. But there's something else that I want to bring before you briefly about this lesson. I asked Brian Lisenberg if he would organize this presentation of the Gospel, partly because it's so long and we could just get lost in hearing it read. But more importantly, so that we might recognize in it the conversation that occurs between Jesus and a woman. I think that what of the spiritual life is a conversation with the Holy. A conversation with Jesus. And that conversation goes on day after day after day, all the days of our lives. And we are transformed through that conversation. Some days, the conversation goes well. But there are other days when, just like the woman at the well, we don't quite get it. We get a bit of it but perhaps we take it too literally, or perhaps we just miss the point. There are other days when the conversation is quite awkward. That was certainly true for her, especially in the beginning of the conversation. Why would a Jew speak with me, a woman of But thank God, there are days when those conversations provide epiphanies, openings to us of the glory of the heaven, or, as John Wesley put it, that strange warming of the heart. Those moments when we realize that we are truly loved by God. So my prayer for you, and my prayer as I continue my letter, is that our conversation will go deeper, and our conversation will be conscious to us, we'll be aware of it, we'll enter into it more fully, And most of all, I pray that we may have a clear sense of God's love for us, no matter what happens now or in the future, no matter what has happened in our past, God loves us. May that be the blessing of life for you and for me.